Hello, and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and today I'm joined by Justin Bonner, who's hiding out in, uh, as you can see, a cave with tons of barrels in it, which is one of the topics we're going to talk about today. Um, Thanks for joining me, Justin. Hey, thanks for having me. So there's all all kinds of stuff for us to talk about because it's been quite some time because the last time I did an episode featuring Jailbreak, um, I didn't talk to you. So it's been it's been probably a couple years at this point, I think. Yeah, it seems like I was going to say a year, but man, it's I think COVID was geez, we're going on almost a year with it. So yeah, yeah closer to two years. So where do you want to start? You want to give a jailbreak update? Um, you want to give a talk about Implexum? There's all kinds of things. So or, or also, I, I want to. I forgot to ask you earlier, so I'll just ask you now while we're actually recording and everyone's listening. We were originally supposed to record this last week, so thank you for being flexible. Um, and you were going to be at the new other half. Were you, were you down there for business reasons or just for pleasure to check it out? Are you, are uh, no. you working on anything with them or? No, no, it's, uh, we're, we're just, uh, we're all, we're all friends with, uh, you know, with the, with the owners there and okay. we actually all share a passion for wine. Um, so we've been friends for, I don't know, about three years or so. And so, yeah, I mean, I haven't been able to get up to Brooklyn we used to go once a month or so, but I haven't been able to get up there since COVID. So, the uh, the guys are down here more and more trying to get the place open, and so it's uh, just kind of worked out that I was able to make it down. But yeah, that was just uh, landed on the same day as uh, the initial kind of scheduled podcast, and uh, yeah, so now things things are moving along down there. It's exciting to have them as part of our uh, our local uh, brewing community. Yeah, having such a uh, well respected, I guess like one of the larger hype breweries becoming local. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, IPAs galore. So, no, I think they did well. They're going to be making some just unique beers there. So, uh, you know, they'll stuff that they'll make and create and release there will be unique and different from what they're doing uh, up in up in Brooklyn and Rochester. Yeah, that was something I'd heard. It, so they they're not going to make the same beers there at all, or they're they're going to have some replication and but a lot of different. I think they'll know? make. A- I think they'll make a, a few of their the ones they do, you know, you know, multiple times or throughout the years. But okay. yeah, everything there is going to be. Um, I don't know. I I, I I imagine it's or envision it being a lot like what kind of Yepa does at Evil Twin, which is, you know, he makes stuff at twelve percent and other breweries that it's kind of part of the just the general Evil Twin portfolio. And then he has uh, Evil Twin New York, which is very specific beers that are only out of there. So um, okay. I see. I think I see. We're seeing more and more of that. And more breweries are, are opening other locations, you know, out of their normal territory, out of the state, and kind of creating new beers so that, you know, instead of capturing four or five can releases a week, they can, you know, multiply that by two or three or four, however many locations they have. So it's smart. I mean, really smart marketing. And, um, but at the end of the day, it's you know IPAs. Yeah, a whole making, lot of them. Making the same <laughs> IPA just to you know. Uh, only so many ways to uh, to kind of dream up an IPA, but yeah, but they, they make good stuff. People love them. That's yes, there's no doubt about that. Absolutely. 
Um, so you, do you want to start with, uh, giving an update on how things are going at jailbreak or do you want to give the details on Implexum? Well, they're very, very separate, yeah. separate, separate businesses. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, jailbreak, I mean, jailbreak's doing fairly well. I mean, we've obviously being in only two and a third States as far as distribution, um, you know, there's been obvious challenges. I mean, with DC, like we spoke about earlier, DC is already a, an 80 to 85% on-premise consumption market. And DC is really struggling, um, unfortunately. And so, uh, yeah, that market's been hammered. Uh, we don't see a lot coming out of DC right now. Maryland's been, I mean, Maryland's been good. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's got a pretty, uh, pretty solid and equal packaging consumption. Um, so in comparison to the draft, so we've been really growing, uh, our packaging side and on a draft side, it's, it's, you know, it continues to be a struggle. Uh, you know, each County has different laws. So even, you know, one County may, you know, be open 50% or 75% and another County may be open only 50% and one County may only allow bars and restaurants to be open until 10 where the other ones don't have limitations, uh, restrictions. So, it's been all over the place, but no, we're doing well. And then, you know, obviously the, the tap room, the restaurant or retail component, uh, we have a huge tent outside. So we, we can't fit as many as we used to, uh, in the tap room, but we're pretty close. So, um, I would say we're almost back to normal, uh, in the, uh, in the tap room. You had, um, installed, if not at the very beginning of this pretty soon, or pretty close to it, a brand new canning line that was a little more souped up and had more features, right? Was it, it was sometime last year or was it early this year? No, it was uh, yeah, late last year. Okay. We, uh, we had upgraded our line. Um, so that early. was good timing. It was, it was, but actually we don't, we don't get necessarily that much more throughput with the, uh, with the new line. It was, uh, we get about the same throughput. It was the, the quality control. So from uh, DO levels, which you've always been really good in getting in check, uh, the problem has been we, we've, we've had to, you know, there's been times where we've lost 10, 20% of our package uh, because of uh, having to toss it to, to tweak our DOs to make sure they get it right. And, you know, seaming was always an issue in the older seamers. So uh, bringing in the new line, it just, we get very consistent DOs. Our, our burn rates are way, way lower um, in the seamer it's, it's been it's been money so i mean we're, we're probably canning now you know depending on the week 1500 to i guess 2000 cases a week so we we really heavily rely on on the canning line to do what it's supposed to do and uh that that one the new one also is what gave you the flexibility to start doing um 16 ounce cans right correct yeah we were able to kind of swap out our 12 and 16 ounce uh varieties pretty easily and um you know so that was that was a big help I and mean, we've also increased our yields and improved our beers with the addition of the centrifuge last year um really kind of getting it going this year so it's this is uh january february is when we really started to run almost everything through the centrifuge so we can control you know clarity and we can maintain haziness and we can um we can release things like our hazy ipas a lot sooner. I mean, we would have to condition those beers four weeks plus to kind of lose that green note with so much hops being added. Uh, so we're able to 
you know, dramatically reduce that time to about two and a half weeks, you know, uh, by, you know, implementing the uh, centrifuge. Oh, I, I, that's, I guess that's something I had never thought about. So typically you would need to just wait longer to cold crash everything out. But is that, and is that what the difference is? Like, but this, with the centrifuge, you're able to, I mean, essentially filter out all the hot particulates. Yeah. I mean, the cold, the crash time would be longer when we had to condition it. I mean, we really got to get a lot of that to drop out because what we don't want to do is we used to have a, a, a D filter, um, and filtered everything through that, but then you, you there's, there's, there's no middle ground. It's either hazier or it's clear. Uh, so with this way, with the centrifuge, we can control it. But yeah, I mean, crash times used to be, you know, two to three weeks for to get a hazy IPA. And still, even then, you would have uh, just kind of that greenness of the beer, a lot of harsh, bitter notes. Um, so by, by spinning it, you're really getting rid of all those those hop particulates and uh you know now we use a lot more hops we know starting in beginning of this year we upped our our dosage rate on the hops or our hop rate and so we're doing for the most part it's anywhere from seven to ten pounds per barrel what, what was that up from um geez uh they would be up from you know three to six pounds a barrel oh, it's quite a significant increase Oh yeah, I mean, so now I mean, just on a, a twenty barrel batch, I mean, we're using, you know, three, four, sometimes five boxes of, uh, of hops to uh, get what we need. So we're kind of over hopping on uh, a lot of places, but then we can, we're not worried about uh, leaving behind that 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 harshness to it because we can just pull it right out in the centrifuge. So, but I think a lot of the kind of the bigger breweries now, I would say bigger, but the regional ones and the ones that are really kind of creating these unique hazy IPAs. Um, Almost all of them are incorporating a, uh, a centrifuge, uh, or have been for some time. Okay. Um, what's your most popular beer now? You know, it's funny because the monkey can, continues to be huge for us. I mean, it's our Hefeweizen. Uh, it's just, it's, it's. I wouldn't say now it's a leader. I would say, I mean, special lady friend. We got rid of Big Punisher uh, years ago as a full time beer to make way for the special lady. And we wanted to kind of have that more full-time, true hazy IPA in the market, but in a format and at a price point that that worked for more than just a Uber beer nerd. So, Special Lady has been has been huge for us. So, I would say that's probably our leading brand. But Monkey's really, really close. I love Special Lady, friend. That beer is so good, and its variants are great. I wanted to try to get out there today to get some um, Citra Lady, friend before we recorded but there, i just couldn't make it work with my schedule oh it's all good actually we put that in one and uh we have that one and we have bad fish so two hazy ipas that uh we ended up putting in 12 ounce six packs uh so yeah i mean those work really well for us we'll have uh probably strata lady friend coming back out sometime soon so we're, we're you know we're, we're trying to keep uh putting out you know unique stuff and as well as our, our core beers why have you been so hard to find in Frederick lately? Oh, I've been I've been hiding out at home. No, not you personally. Your beer. Oh, my beer. Yeah, well, you have to talk to our distributor. Um, yeah. Distributors have been have been you know very conservative uh, through COVID, so most don't even refuse to take on draft at all. 
Um, I would say it's only the distributors that carry the counties that touch us will bring some level of draft on. Uh, some distributors, I mean, there's demand. We have restaurants asking for our draft beer and distributors just refuse to bring it on. So, uh, you know, and then, you know, with there's not as much draft, distributors aren't picking up as regularly. So our distributors located in Hagerstown. So where they used to come out twice a month, now they come out once every four to five weeks. Okay. Cause it's even, cause I was, I wanted to pick up something to, to have a jailbreak something while we were talking. Um, and I just couldn't find anything. Yeah. I mean, our limiteds don't ever almost, they very rarely make it out to your neck of the woods just because we sell out, um, around here through the brewery. And then sometimes we have a limited release through kind of some local retailers, but you know, they can sell quite a bit. So it's hard to get out more limited beers out there, and especially when we want to keep it uh, everything fresh. Yeah. So we've been we've been very fortunate. Our core beers, when we kind of send them out the door, they're usually no more than seven days old. That's uh, pretty much you know most of them are a lot of them are day of. So everything's been really really fresh. But when a distributor only comes once every four or five weeks, it kind of just the timing has to be right for them to get any limited beers. Yeah, kind of like it has to be perfectly timed really because we're not holding anything right now we're just we're not holding anything back there's no point i mean i'd rather yeah if you can sell it for your entire profit margin through your door why hold it back other than that i would like to drive and pick it up in frederick then have to drive out to to you well we like to yeah like to incentivize you to come out and visit us because there's a lot of beers that we have at the tap room that just aren't anywhere else so We've been doing more, you know, it's, uh, well, we still, I mean, we always have two or three hazy IPAs on. We typically have two fruited sours on. I mean, we typically have 20 beers. So yeah. the sours and the hazy IPAs are combined only about a quarter of what we do. Um, we've been doing more with craft seltzers. So not the, uh, the clear white cloth shit that you see out there, but stuff with, I would say stuff with real ingredients, but then I would be, uh, I'd be lying if it's all all natural real ingredients we put some crazy shit in there uh you know um you know we did a a a cherry cola i saw that one it was good it was Was... coming cola syrup but a little cherry puree so it was half real half whatever but i I can't imagine a calorie count on that thing but yeah um, i don't i think that might be mixing missing the um one of the intended reasons for seltzers yeah, exactly. Now we, uh, you know, calories be damned, but you know, some people people are really getting into it. Because I mean, honestly, if you if you look at the fruited sours, there, I think we've kind of landed on a Berliner Weiss being a good base to create these yeah. as a delivery really, system for fruit and that's sugar. It. That's all it is. In fact, I mean, it could be the absolute worst, uh, most terribly made Berliner Weiss in the world, but you would never know because of how much fruit's thrown on top of it. But Berliner Weiss, honestly, isn't the best delivery mechanism for these beers because a lot of times people don't want sour. They want yeah. sweet, rich fruit. And uh, so we found that the making of seltzers in-house is is truly the most nondescript way of creating uh, an alcohol that we can layer things on top of. So- we don't consider more beers. We don't consider, we don't consider much artistry. In what we do with our seltzers, uh, I wouldn't say you won't uh, you won't see me bragging about the fact that we make craft seltzers. <laughs> um, I bet you sell a ton of them, though. 
We sell a ton of them, but I, I definitely won't be the one to tell you that you know they're anything near uh, what we're most proud of making. Uh, but it, 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 like anything, I, I think a lot of people serving fruited sours and hazy IPAs would not tell you that that those are the beers they're most proud of in their portfolio. So, um, let's take a real quick break to sure. uh, thank our sponsors, and I want to grab a beer, um, and then yeah. I actually I have a couple more questions about seltzers. Cool. I want to send a little uh, shout out to Nico. Uh, hopefully at Roast House, he's doing well. There, I when did I? Actually, it's been a little while since I, it's been a couple of weeks since I talked to Nico. Uh, he's still doing his beer dinners, um, which is what we are about to hear a ad for. Um, and uh, you should uh, talk to them and get one of those set up again. Because I, rem- if I, you did a beer dinner with them, right? We've done two, I think. Yeah, because it was it was a really good one. I can't remember what it was in it but i remember it being one of i mean they're all really good so it was an easy leap to take but <laughs> I, I remember the jailbreak bond one being really good because i think that may have been the first time i had special lady friend okay yeah probably would have been the last one we did then probably yeah. about all right so we will be right back Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, so our... um. I, I feel like I did see this, but I can't remember now because there's so much going on. Have um, are you canning your seltzers? We are. We okay. are. We I like thought to, uh, I thought I remembered seeing the can for the cola one specifically. Yeah, I mean we don't send any out. We, I mean we keep it uh, just like our fruit sours. We keep them all. Uh, those are reserved for the tap room. And reason being is that you know this has real fruits. They get a little explodey. Yeah, they get very <laughs> explosive. So I mean we. We have our dry stack in cold box or cold cooler in a tap room for all of our beers. But for those, we there's a just it's all dedicated to a cooler. And we make sure that every time someone buys one, they realize that these things need to be refrigerated. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's I mean, it's a real issue. Uh, I mean, in the industry, we're actually in the process of, of buying a pasteurizer. So, oh, wow, you're going yeah. all in. Yeah, yeah, we'll be able to, to kind of do a, a inline pasteurizer, so that way all these things will be shelf stable. And from a number of breweries that have been using the pasteurizer, uh, 
they've done a lot of blind tastings and there's really no difference in flavor whatsoever. It's just shelf stable. That's what, so I can't remember where or who I was talking to about that. And the, the way it was described to me is that like pasteurization basically just pauses. It, it doesn't alter anything that happened beforehand. It just pauses anything further that the yeast would do. Yeah, I think I think it. I mean, it basically, I'm not a scientist. My, my brewmaster would be able to speak to it, but if I basically, it, yeah, it kills off the yeast ability to uh, ferment. Yeah. So, so while you, the it could be affecting future taste by, but mostly what you wouldn't want to happen. Um, it doesn't have any effect on that moment in time taste that if you were happy with it before pasteurizing, it's going to taste the same after pasteurizing it. Exactly. Yeah. So are you going to go like full on evil water where you're just making basically pastry stouts that are, no, no, we don't know. We have not yet incorporated any marshmallows into our seltzer. <laughs> yeah, but loves his marshmallow. I think he owns a stock in a marshmallow company. Yeah. Uh, we don't, um, no, we don't, we don't use any of that, but we have, you know, I think we have, uh, cool made, uh, tropical punch coming out. Uh, so it's, you can basically get an idea of what that might be, uh, right with cool made. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's, it tastes exactly like you would think, uh, the tropical punch drink you would have at home exactly dead on. So it's, uh, people who are into that, that, um, I really wanted to do weirdly enough, the perfect hangover remedy. I wanted to do a greater aid, which is <laughs> lime seltzer with a lot of electrolytes and 5% alcohol. So we've, we've, we've tried it. It again, the seltzers, and if you can make the seltzer clean enough without a lot of sulfur notes or anything else, uh, it's just a great base, nondescript base to just deliver a, a flavor that really you might have in something other than an alcoholic drink. How how hard is it to make that clean seltzer base? I've heard that, that it actually can be difficult to figure it out, but Very then easy to re- replicate. Yeah, we, we can make the, the base in a week or so, but we found that we either have to wait about six or seven weeks, bubble off the sulfur, um, or we just we just run it through constantly through a centrifuge. We'll uh, we'll run it through a centrifuge and just take a day, where it may take a couple hours, if that, an hour and a half to get through a twenty barrel batch on our centrifuge. We'll just we'll run that. We'll do four spins a day on that back into itself, and we might do that two to three different days. So it's you know we can do I don't know anywhere from eight to twelve time uh, twelve spins in order to really get that sulfur to, I mean, the first time around, I mean, you'll, you'll know we're, we're spinning our, uh, our seltzer because the whole place smells like ass. Um, <laughs> this is not a place you want to be. <laughs> no, the centrifuge is on our, our canning wings. So it's unfortunately the, uh, the, uh, it's our canning guys that are really, um, kind of, uh, really subject to having that in their face. <laughs> so they love when you're making seltzers. They really do. They really do. So, no, I mean, we've been able to get it pretty clean. I mean, we changed our yeast uh, from the first round to the second round. And what we do is we make about 40 barrels at a time. 
and then we'll pull out about 10 barrels of seltzer, blend it with something to make a batch. So a 40 barrel batch can kind of really create about 10 different uh, seltzer flavors or styles for us. So how much of the um, specialty beers that you're only selling through mainly selling through the tap room are you making? Is it a four, 40 barrel batches of it or are you making larger, smaller ones of it? No, I mean, typically we make 20 to 40. So depending on what it is, I mean, if it's a, I don't know, if it's a unique lager, we'll do 20 barrels. Um, if it's a triple IPA, we'll make, you know, 20 barrels. If it's, you know, a stout, a unique stout, we'll make 20 barrels. But a lot of times, you know, we'll make uh, 40 barrels of a hazy IPA, like a limited release or a double IPA. And then we'll either use all of it if we intend on sending some to distribution uh, or if we want to keep it in the house, we'll actually dry hop separately. So we'll make the big, because 90% of our hops are really uh, are introduced in the fermenter on the dry hop side. Like we're very heavy on the dry hop, very little on the, on the, uh, you know, in the kettle and the uh, whirlpool. So, um, so yeah, we'll take a, the same base and we'll split it off into two 20 barrel uh, tanks and then we'll dry hop them very differently. Did I ever tell, speaking of stouts, um, did I ever tell you about what happened to one of the vintage cans of dust till dusk you gave me? No. So I had it in my refrigerator, saving it just to, at some point to drink. And my mother-in-law and father-in-law came down to visit and, um, he wanted a beer and it was before I got home and he grabbed that. And, oh, did he? Did he throughout? Yes, and then yeah. and then took a drink promptly, then dumped it out, and um, then told me about it, and I was not happy. <laughs> well, that's so. Don't 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 worry. We're actually we're we're right now in the process of um, tasting and uh, blending cycle to be able to come up with this year's dusk. Okay. So we have a lot to choose from. We have some stuff. I think we have. Two barrels that we have been have been aging well that are about five and a half six years old. Oh wow! So that'll, I mean, we have a lot of five and six year old barrels that we've dumped out throughout the year that just it hasn't really uh, grown or kind of gained any complexity. But uh, we have a couple that are really really good that we're excited to use in a blend because it really just shows off a lot of those aging characteristics. So we're we're working on that and. Uh, our guys do a really, really good job with the stouts. It's just we're not, maybe not necessarily known for stouts because we don't make that many. Yeah. But the ones we made, I, I think have been like, that's, our, our, I would say, you know, from the, on the jailbreak side, I, I think I'm most proud of what we've done on our barrel aging program. So there was, it was probably, what, two years now. There was kind of a, a slight direction directional change in the types of beers you were making. So up until that point, there were like IPAs and like dabbling in, yeah, um, funk. What's the real name of it? Something funk. funk What's that? Funk Sway. Yeah, Funk Sway. So you, you had some fruited sour stuff, but like it was two years ago, you started like heavily going into the more, I, I would say, like hype brewery type styles. Um, what made that? change happened was that just customer demand or i think it's a little of everything i mean i think a lot of people forget you know when we when we first opened many many years ago like seven 
Um, we, uh, we were making fruity beers. And the thing is, we were making beers with real fruits. Uh, it was always one of our things uh, that we wouldn't use flavorings. And the fruited beers that were out in the market, whether it be some of the ones that are making it locally or things like, uh, I don't know, your Heller High Watermelon, uh, these were all just, uh, they were all using, you know, chemical flavorings. And uh, given that our guys had come from dogfish and they refused to use chemical flavorings, uh, we kind of were consistent with that. Uh, and we, we were putting out a lot of fruited beers and people hated it. They thought it was <laughs> weird that there was fruit and real fruit and beer. They thought that it was really weird that our beers had like the color and consistency of the fruit that was in it. So after how the- things change. Seriously, we were just a little bit before our time. We actually abandoned most of our fruited beers um, after the first year. And what was selling at the time was really core beers. Um, back then, it was the Bitter Wars. So we weren't going after the highest IBUs. Um, we weren't really kind of chasing the fads at the time. But uh, so we, but that's what sold in volume. And it, I mean, honestly, it's owning a business. It'd be stupid for us to abandon the thing that is selling the most for us. Uh, but we did a really good job. We continued to do a really good job with core styles. And then, um, but as things changed, we needed to change. And maybe uh, some people in our, uh, you know, in our, in our world, our little team of brewing, uh, didn't always necessarily see eye to eye that we should expand upon what we offer. And we knew our vision, and we've always been very consistent with our vision, but that didn't mean we, did, we couldn't make... Um, some a few more hazy IPAs and a few more fruit sours and you know give some of the uh, the more niche market what they wanted so but there were some kind of uh, people internally that were against that so we uh, elevated our head brewer who was really not only all about that but he was really uh, excited to take on the um, the mixed firm barrel sour brewery that we were starting so. Uh, we elevated him to brewmaster, and from that time, uh, he needed a few tools, a few things in order to really make these beers the way we wanted them. One was to dramatically increase our cost of hops uh, to be able to hop these beers twice as much as we were used to. Uh, the centrifuge was another one. So uh, all these things are extremely expensive to, uh, to kind of uh, invest in and roll out. So by the beginning of 2020 these hazy beers that we were making uh, were pretty much full on. It was, you know, we were, we were a hundred percent in when we decided to make them. And so, yeah, I would say it was a change. uh, Maybe, maybe learning to adapt, um, you know, and getting some people internally that really were uh, open to kind of going after these things. I don't, I don't know how I missed the double passion fruit mango funk. Is that canned or is that draft only? Uh, it's canned. Yeah, we did that right after the double blueberry cherry. We found that we were there's already when we were mixing fruit, we were already. I mean, it was natural for us to kind of, if using two or three fruits, to put a lot more of one fruit of so what we wanted to be the primary flavor um, over another. So we would, you know, we used to be able to call something like that maybe a blueberry or cherry blueberry funk, mm-hmm. even though we would have twice as much blueberry as cherry. But then we decide, all right, it seems that everyone's calling these things double something. So wouldn't you know, we would make a double blueberry cherry, same as maybe we made before, and it would sell three times as quick. 
because people are like, ah, oh, but it's double now. <laughs> I'm like, all right, it's always been double. So I mean, it's like slapping that new label on something. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's the same thing as we see in double and triple dry hop. A lot of it's bullshit. I mean, I talk to a lot of guys that do DDH on their labels for mm. double dry hop. And I'm like, oh, so you got to go back and you, you dry up this multiple times. They're like, no. <laughs> it's, tw- it's twice as much as we thought about using. <laughs> exactly. It's, um, no, I mean, the, 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 it's, there's a lot of marketing involved in beer. And Is there, um, um, are there more can? is that still available? That should be, yeah, that's still available. Since we don't put it out there, it's nice. We make a couple hundred cases and it usually lasts us, I don't know, three, four weeks. All right. I got to come get some of that. That sounds coming up though. The Fall Funk's my personal favorite. What's that one? That's one I'll actually drink. Um, it's uh, we use it's basically half Berliner Weiss, a little more than half, half apple cider. Uh, that we put uh, some cinnamon, nutmeg, a few other things in there, and it's really kind of a I don't taste like a spiced cider. No offense, that sounds disgusting. Oh, it's beautiful. (laughs) Maybe I'll make an eggnog this year for you. That sounds. But I do, I do want some double passion fruit mango funk, only because it's double, though. Yeah, right, it's way, <laughs> way more than you thought it'd be. Yeah, come on, that gives you another reason to come out and see us. Yeah, that sounds so good. That and Citra Lady Friend, I need some of those. Yeah, it's it, good stuff. It's weird. I find it's. I don't know why. I find it weird to drink a twelve ounce can of beer now, though. Like almost, almost everything I get is in a sixteen ounce can. So it just made it like I I got some bottles of beer the the other day, and I was like, what do I do with this? How do I even get into this container? Well, I think the problem you see too is that I mean I I think that a lot of you know while it's great to have a sixteen ounce beer, I think a lot of breweries um, they they kind of follow a lot of you know unfortunately a lot of us are are sheep Um, we kind of follow (laughs) the market so. When you see like, hey, your IPAs or double IPAs should be priced at $18 a four pack. And that's what the other guy's getting. So that's what you need to get. If you price it less, it looks like yours is less worthy. So you price it at $18 a four pack. And then the last thing you want to do is sometimes you see breweries like, oh, we have a little bit left of this. And by the way, we're running a special this week and they're $14 a four pack. <laughs> um, so now that's on discount. So now you look like the TJ Maxx of beer. So... Um, Although you know, I got to tell you, I went when I, while I was up in Pittsburgh last week, I ran to a giant eagle, which was amazing to be able to do to pick to pick up some beer, and they had the Trogues Hop Cyclone, I think's the name yeah. of it, an amazing double hazy IPA. It was fourteen dollars for a four pack. Is it, it was beautiful? it was so good too. Well, Trogues is like the thing is Trogues is I mean they have enough of a market that they don't have to worry about. Yeah, the the you see Trogues, you're just like okay, that's going to be good. So they don't have to they don't have to worry about that perception that you were talking about. Yeah, the perception for a Trogues or for a Flying Dog or for a lot of the bigger breweries, they're dogfish. They're never really going to. I mean, a 16 ounce market, they could have an IPA that kills someone like a Treehouse, but they'll never be able to command as much money as a Treehouse. Yeah. So. I mean, for us, the, we looked at it as like, all right, well, we don't want to necessarily um, bastardize the pricing of the market for what these things are. Uh, so, but by putting them in 12 ounce six packs and charging, I think we charge like $14 a six pack. Um, by doing that, we actually, we don't, uh, you know, we don't reduce uh, or lessen the pricing of, of our four packs, 16 ounce beers. 
Uh, but I, mean, I think we've, you know, I think you've seen this before. I mean, we're not, this isn't unique to us. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I know Monument City used to put out their Sobo Nobo in 12 ounce cans. I, I think they may have moved it to 16 ounce, but they seem to switch back and forth. I don't know what the rhyme or reason between um, what they do for which release, but it, I think Sobo's always been um, 16 ounce cans, but Nobo has switched back and forth a couple times, I think. And it could be because, of, I mean, right now, especially, it could be because of can availability. Yeah, it's I mean, true, right, too, just what they can get their hands on. It's a lot easier to get, believe it or not, it's a lot easier to get 16 ounce cans right now than it is 12 ounce cans. That's what I've heard. And it kind of makes sense because you figure Pepsi, Budweiser, uh, Coors, everyone, all of them are what I've read are just buying up like every bit of aluminum cans they can. Um, so, and, but they're not buying 16 ounce cans. So it makes them a little more readily available. Oh yeah. I mean, I think if you look at just Miller light, I think Miller light alone consumes or goes through more 12 ounce cans than every single 16 ounce can on, on the planet earth. Uh, so yeah. So I, I mean, I think while, you know, most people, most craft brewers are using 16 ounces. There, uh, there's just that's it's still not a lot of volume. Have you had issues with being able to source twelve ounce cans, or are you still? Do you have a supply of them, or are you struggling to keep keep them coming in? Well, most of our stuff is pre printed. Even our limited beers, we. Oh, that's right. Yours are all the, the have the black the black with the jailbreak around the crown and. Yep. Yep. So even our blank cans are custom made. So. And we order by the truckloads. So we order 25 pallets of each one. So now our lead time has been pushed back where it used to be two, three weeks. We were kind of told in plenty of time, like, listen, we're looking at more like seven, eight weeks now. So order uh, accordingly. But yeah, we'll place our orders now just early enough. So we, we did actually run into an issue where um, we were about to have to go to label the monkey cans because uh, we had run out of monkey. But the day we were uh, we were completely out of stock, and we were just forced to say, "Listen, we just got to label it." That morning, uh, our our new printed cans came in, so we haven't uh, we haven't run into any issues. But yeah, I, I hear a lot. I hear a lot of breweries are even using other breweries' cans and putting their own label on top of them. I saw um, Duclaws doing that. They had well, I mean, that's public knowledge. They posted on Instagram. Oh yeah, it's it's wild. That they were, yeah, but it's I mean, you do what you got to do to get by. Yeah, I mean, we have I mean, we have a huge uh, back. I mean, we, we have a back stock of big Punisher cans. When we decided to switch to Special Lady, we really didn't consider, um, hey, let's exhaust all of our big pun cans. And at the time, I think we made the decision because it was doing so well, the Special Lady that. We decided to discontinue Big Pun at least as a full-time beer and make it once every three months. And I think we had like we'd just gotten in a new shipment of cans like a month prior. So that's a 23 pallets of cans, a lot of cans, especially when you're only doing it once every three months. So we have a ton of big punisher cans that I don't know, like we we think that at the end of the day, we'd rather if we had to label cans. Uh, we'd rather them be at least our own cans. Yeah. So but, if in a pinch, you could use those if it gets real desperate. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, it's at least we could peel back the label. It's still a, a jailbreak beer. And though I don't, I don't fault or blame breweries for doing whatever they can to get beer in package right now. I mean, this is a lot of it is a, uh, it's the game of survival. So um, 
I certainly don't blame other people for doing it. All right, let's take um, one more quick sponsor break. Um, I think I think I have a couple couple more jailbreak questions, and then we'll switch gears to talk about your other venture and Plexum. Sounds good. So we be, we will be right back. The Uncapped Podcast is brought to you by District East. A lot of Friday and Saturday afternoons, you'll find me at District East for their weekly beer tastings. District East is part of the local beer community, and they get limited releases and exclusive beers that are hard to find anyplace else. This is why I chose District East for the release of my collaboration beers. One of my favorite things to do at District East is building a custom six-pack. With over 900 beers on their shelves and new beers every week, District East is a great place to find beers I love and to discover new and hard-to-find ones. They also have eight beers on tap for Crowler and Growler fills, and they have kegs to go. District East is located on Northeast Street in Frederick, in the same shopping center as Family Mill and Rockwell Brewery. You can find today's beers lists on the District East Facebook page or at www.districteast.beer. I'm excited to announce our newest sponsor, Vanish Farmwoods Brewery. Vanish is a brewery and entertainment complex located on a 62-acre hops and apple farm in Luckett's, Virginia, just 20 minutes from Frederick, Maryland and Leesburg, Virginia. With over 20 beers on tap, a selection of wines and ciders, along with multiple food options, there is something for everyone. Vanish has live music on Saturdays and Sundays and a wide variety of special events. Go to VanishBeer.com for information on everything they have to offer. All right, so how um, how is the restaurant and everything operating now? So that's I think that's one definitely one sticking point right now is, as a consumer is like you never know what to expect when heading someplace anymore. Like, what do you need reservations? What's allowed there? Is it outdoor, indoor? So, what's the rundown of how jailbreak? and uh food works are operating uh, I, I it's it's a different vibe uh for sure i mean we were previously we held about 200 and I don't know, 250 people uh or so uh in our place and um and there's only about 90 seats so two-thirds of the audience would be just standing mingling and so the vibe was cool i mean we it's just it was about Kind of the music, the energy—it was just a great place. Uh, and then with with COVID, we you know we had to obviously open the outdoors, and uh, you know we put out a huge tent, and it's all table service, and that's not what we envisioned uh, for our tap room. It wasn't the vibe we envisioned for our tap room. We wanted to kind of keep it kind of the food piece, fast casual, um, and let people mingle and. Now everyone has to be seated, and then if you get up, you have to wear a mask, and only six to a table. I mean, we're you know we're one of those places where we have normal groups who come out would be. I mean, our average reservation used to be around twelve people. Now our average reservation is about three. Um, you know, it's it's makes it difficult, and it's uh, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, it's uh, I, I way more prefer uh, the energy of pre-COVID jailbreak. But that's not to say that it's not a great place now. I mean, we have a great staff. Our staff, we have a lot of new staff members that came on. Um, a lot of our old staff, you know, unfortunately, they we furloughed a lot, decided to kind of move on to different industries or not come back. Or um, we had to hire a lot of new people. And uh, they're great. They're really great at what they do. So our service level is, I think, on point. Um, 
so uh, it's just a different vibe and it's not necessarily the vibe necessarily i you know honestly that we're we envision long term or but it's it's for this version it's a really good version of what it is right now so you have you have a large outdoor area that's tented and then is seating for if you want to eat inside is that only on the food work side or can you sit and eat on either side yeah, you can eat on either side. Internally, we we open. We have uh, five community tables. Uh, I believe it's five, five, uh, four or five, five. I believe. Um, and then we have four of our four tops. You know, in the uh, brewery side, on the food works side, I believe we have four or five, four tops that we just opened recently. Um, we weren't serving at all on the food works side up to about two weeks ago. We've added back lunches on Thursday and Friday, but we're still we uh we closed Monday and Tuesday and we haven't reopened those days. We haven't opened Wednesday for lunch. So we continue to kind of expand as we grow and as people come back, we continue to expand on the hours and whatnot. But we have about, I don't know, twenty, twenty-five tables outside. Okay. So it's it makes a thirty two hundred square foot tent, and then we have an additional thousand square feet that's not that's that's under like pop up tents. So it's a good amount of space. So we, yeah, we were actually we're getting back to numbers we wouldn't be used to seeing this time of the year. Uh, so it's it's good. I mean, it's uh, it's we're very we feel very fortunate to uh, be in a position we're in because a lot of restaurants and breweries that are in the city, kind of a more urban environment, they have sidewalks. That's it. I mean, there's not yeah. parking lots they can utilize. So they don't have the flexibility of a the outdoor space that you have. Yeah, of course. And unfortunately, none of us are Guinness. And I think Guinness has about 10 acres over there that they... Yeah, it's uh, plenty of room to socially distance and be safe. God, I hate to be a food runner there, man. It, it, I mean, by the time you pull a, a burger right off the, the grill, yeah. by the time you make it to your table, it's going to be 20 minutes later. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> and yeah. like 30 flights of steps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, It's got to be tough for them. But no, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just... I'm, I feel very fortunate... Uh, to be in a position where we are right now and survive all this. All right, so let's talk about where you are right now. Um, cool. You you brought I was years ago at this point. Um, you had teased that this this was going to happen. Um, I guess it's happening, but not quite fully happened yet. Um, so why don't you tell everyone about Implexum? Well, Plexum was actually, I was teasing this since before we even made one beer at Jailbreak. Uh, the mixed firm Barrel Sours was always um, my vision for what I wanted to do. Um, but, you know, when we got into it, it's, you know, unfortunately we opened a brewery. We built this, you know, this large enough brewery that uh, the idea of waiting two years to have a product was tough. So... Uh, we we didn't really and then we also again had opposition from internally some folks that are really did not want to bring and, and rightfully so didn't want to bring any uh bacteria or wild yeast into our facility i've so, always found that um that there seems to be two extreme philosophies from brewers with that like some want a completely separate different buildings nowhere anywhere near and then some are like I don't know if you just follow uh, S, your procedures properly, you, it's safe and just use different equipment. And That's nuts. I mean, 
I, I'm I'm nuts. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> nuts. Uh, I don't think anyone would would disagree with that. But no, I'd be nuts to bring these beers into anywhere near our facility. It's 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 ridiculous. I mean, you've seen you've seen some breweries, even some local ones that have done it that have had to shut down their facility uh, because of infection. I mean, a lot of these beers. Uh, well, first off, I mean, if you're cool shipping, then you just you can't cool ship in your facility. I Triple mean, Crossing does. Wow, geez, hey, Triple Crossing's cool ship is right. It's in the same building. It's it may be like a couple rooms over, but it's in the it's in the same building. I mean, it's wild if you think about it, because the idea of cool shipping is you know the kind of the same way exactly like, what you want to avoid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's and, and you you want that funk. I mean, I think if you look at like you know from what I understand, you know, I haven't been there, but. You know, Cantheon's in the middle of an industrial area, and it's not like they're pulling this microflora from the middle of an orchard. So over time, the more you cool ship, the more you kind of build up this funk in your ceilings and your rafters and your walls. And um, the more you do it, the more you have to pull from. And so, though I don't know a lot of people in Maryland cool shipping, uh, you know, on, on any any real scale. But Is there anyone? I can't like I can't think of anyone that has a cool ship in Maryland. Not that I not that I know of. I mean, I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know of uh, of any any. I know Aslan has one, kind of in a contained room. Um, and I know the Vale has one. Um, you know, but I don't know. I know any Marylands. I mean, you can you can also do what we were doing before we got our cool ship. So we haven't released any, uh, we haven't bottled any cool ship beers yet. We've only started cool shipping uh, a little over a year ago. And you can only do it when it's cool outside. Um, so we were 100% uh, barrel fermenting. And the thing is, is like, uh, I don't know, if, I don't know if you can maybe see what we have here behind me, but you see some, some barrels uh, with the blow off tubes and everything that are, you know, that's a recent batch that's, uh, we brewed, uh, we contract out the jailbreak. It's a separate operation. So we contract jailbreak to brew the beer. We, we pumped the clean beer out, um, you know, and towed it over here. And so in some cases it's, uh, only it's hundred percent barrel fermentation. Uh, so we'll pump it out into the barrels outside and then move those barrels over, uh, or we'll pump them into totes and bring them over and then dump them into the cool ship. But yeah, these barrels, I mean, if you're doing barrel ferments, uh, it's yeah it's blowing off all kind of crap and that crap gets airborne yeah so yeah so we we you know we honestly so we made a decision about two and a half years ago that uh there was enough of us internally that wanted to move ahead with the project so we leased a four thousand square foot facility uh one building down in our business park here um and a lot of the problem was not only got pushed back internally, but the cost of it. Uh, so, you know, we have got 150 to 200 barrels here. Uh, a lot of them larger, four to 500 liter barrels. So we only use French oak. Uh, oh, well, only about 90% of what we use is French oak, and it's expensive. So we we knew we would have to pay 40,000 a year plus 45,000 a year for at least two and a half years before we had one beer or two released to the market. Um, we'd have to put in six figures worth of, of barrels, uh, to where we're going. We'd have to put in tanks and fruit tanks and bright tanks and, you know, um, everything that goes into it. So we didn't really want to handicap or kind of cripple 
jailbreak with the expense of starting this. So we decided to make it a separate operation and personally fund it and start it on its own. So this is a uh, kind of been a long time in the making here, but yeah, we have two beers. One is one of this discovered here, but we have two beers we're about to release here. Uh, labels will be in uh, next week. So we'll finally be able to release uh, the first two from Plexum. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't realize it was, I actually didn't realize it was that close when I reached out to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very close. I mean, these, uh, we don't, um, while we do add some priming sugar into the tanks uh, before we, we bottle, we, uh, we don't add any additional yeast. And the reason we don't do that is because we don't want the chain. We, we make the final blend of, of barrels and we lose about, I mean, right now we've been losing about 50 to 60% of our barrels we dump uh, because they just don't meet. They just honestly just don't turn out all that interesting. They didn't do what you were hoping they would do. Correct. So we've we've dumped. I think we'll probably, as we dump a few more, we'll probably burn. I mean, as we get better at what we do, I'm sure we'll, we'll burn a little less. But we still, we, we make beer and we put them in barrel knowing that 50% of that beer is, is going to be dumped down the drain. Um, so, but what we're left with is a lot of really cool stuff to blend. And so, uh, but we don't want to, we don't want to add yeast on a bottle conditioning side because that yeast can dramatically change the flavor profile of, of the final blend. So we, uh, we rely on, um, the wild, uh, yeast and all the microbes and everything in the bottle to interact with the priming sugar to slowly condition and carbonate that beer. So we kind of leave, depending on the beer, we leave, I don't know, six to 12 months in bottle for it to slowly carbonate and condition before we release it. So nothing's, nothing's fast about any of this. And there's certainly, uh, we have no aspirations of making any money off this brewery, uh, <laughs> but honestly, it's, I mean, we just by the, 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 you know, the, how much we deplete, uh, how much we've depleted so far from what we bottled, um, just by our own personal consumption, it's saying a lot because we've, we have, about a hundred less bottles than we started with, uh, just from us drinking them. So I'm, I'm guessing that means they're good. They're actually, I'm very, I'm very proud of them. Cause honestly it's, uh, you know, we've had, we went into this knowing we're not going to make any money off this. So we went into it with the freedom of saying, let's only put out what we feel is really special. And if nothing special, then we wait for something special. And so, um, there's a way more freedom here in Implexum than there is in jailbreak. I mean, so, how would um how would you describe this the beer that's going to be released soon? So we have a a lambic style, and the reason I say style is we didn't really cool ship. The uh, first one was kind of barrel fermentation, and um, we mixed it with uh, we had about eight barrels. We had a ton of petite syrah fruit from Napa area, and brought it all in, um, hand stemmed it, and hand uh, selected the berries. I'm an idiot. It took me a week. It took other people along with me to hand to stem these. And then I realized you can get a hand to stemmer and for a thousand bucks and do what I it took probably a collective 120 hours worth of manpower. It could have done it in an hour. <laughs> um, so, you know, FML, but, uh, no, we, we added that. And so, uh, we had, I believe two big barrels that came out exactly the way we wanted. And, I think we have two more that we're waiting on to see what it does. And we had, I think, 
We had the rest of them we just dumped. So our first one is a, a lambic style aged with pizza raw grapes. And the next one is a, a blend of a, um, a Saison Brett, a few, I think it's one or two Saison Brett barrels and uh, a, a sour blonde. Oh, nice. Yeah, multiple uh, strains of PDO and uh, uh, Lacto and Brett's. And so just kind of came up with a blend that really worked with each other. So we, uh, we bought them all and these things. So we had uh, bottles custom made for us uh, come out of Italy, uh, champagne sauce bottles, big punts on them. Uh, we it's all cork and cage, so we don't cap any of it. And uh, it's really, I mean, it's honestly, it's I, I, I'm I'm kind of thinking this might appeal more to even wine drinkers than beer drinkers. I know that uh, talking to some of the other breweries that you know really make what's considered the best sours in the country have a really hard time selling them in any volume. Uh, but what we see is we see a real uh, demand for this amongst natural wine drinkers uh natural wine is i, I don't know I'm a, I'm a wine geek and i can't stand natural wine um <laughs> it's unstable and it's one bottle varies from another it's just there's no quality control in a lot of these natural wines and uh a lot more quality control goes into these uh, these barrel sours so um, the people that have tasted so far, the people that have been blown away by it are people that have really been in a natural wine and expect a little funk out of their wine. And uh, so, yeah, so I don't I don't I don't know which market will, will be into it more, but uh, you know, well, I guess we'll see. So I'm not a big fan of wine. Am I going to like these beers? You got to like funk. I mean, when, when people say I, like, sour, I mean, I like funk, funky mixed firm beers. You'll like these, I think. I mean, I, a lot of them, like right now we have a quad that we just bottled, but that's going to be, shit, eight, nine months for the quad, the, the bottle condition. Uh, but the ones, the first two we have, they're not really, I wouldn't say they're overly chewy or you know, like super sour. They're one, I mean, a Petit Syrah, Lambic style one, basically it tastes like a funky rosé. Uh, whereas the Saison Brett Blonde is has more of that stone fruit note to it. Okay. Definitely some funk. I mean, you definitely get funk in the nose. You definitely get that that Brett kind of working, that that kind of uh, barnyardy, kind of uh, horsey kind of nose to it. But they're yeah, they're different. I mean, I, I you know it's I don't know. You have to try them and see if you like them. Um, have you been to the had anything from the Attaboy Barrel House? I have not. Okay, because I mean, I like I like what they're doing, and it's similar, not. Not exactly the same, but similar. Well, I like to see, like, I mean, I, I wish, I mean, I think more in Maryland are starting to sour in barrel, which is good. I mean, I, I think, I mean, personally, and this is just um, my opinion, but I think the beauty of creating kind of that perfect sour, um, not to say we have or we will, but our intention is to try to do that, is variety. And in order to create variety, you have to be able to pull from a lot to be able to whittle it down to something that's really unique. Whereas, you know, there's some breweries in the state that have worked on barrel sours, but they make three barrels, they will release three barrels. Um, whether they blend those three barrels or they release each on their own. We've also found that, you know, talking to other uh, mixed firm breweries around the country that really just kind of specialize in it, they're, you know, they, they told us kind of right up front, it's gonna be hard because even them with, with years of experience of doing this, that, 
to rely on a barrel or two or five or 10 to actually be able to give you enough juice that's really turns out to be something special is it's asking a lot. Okay. So uh, that's not to say that some really good ones are being, aren't being made. Cause I, I think there are, um, but it's just when you only have three or five or whatever that is, you're almost forced to give whatever the barrel takes you, regardless of whether it's bad, good or special or whatever that may be. Like, um, I really enjoy old mother's fermata. That's a, a great mixed firm beer. I've not tried that one either. I, th- I think honestly from the state, I mean, I, I've, I, tr- I get to try a lot. I do trade wine uh, for sours with Jeff over at Jester King. And, uh, hey, do you hear that they run a, a cult? Do they? Yeah. It makes sense. There's 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 a um, someone that's been uh, picketing outside of Jester King and Austin Beer Works saying that the, um, the Austin beer scene is um, a, a bunch of devil worshippers and they, they run a cult. I believe it. And they all carry guns. Yeah. I mean, they're in Texas. <laughs> I, I believe it. I believe it. It's, uh, but I get to try a lot of, a lot of cool things, a lot of like Solera's and whatnot. And you know, like the one he just made, I don't know. It's the one I, I I'm terrible with names, but it's one that they like their big release every year. It has a ton of raspberries in it. Um, and he sent me six bottles of it. And right now it's very raspberry forward, but you still get a little bit of that funk. But I think, you can kind of tell there's enough funk in that that over time it's going to break down that fruit and kind of gain some complexity. So um, really like that one. I mean, I really like the blobber that uh, that Yepa does out of Cantillon. Like, uh, I've never had a Cantillon beer. I've had a few. I've had a few that are really good. That I mean, ones that I would say like, man, if I could make something like that, I would be – I could sleep well at night. And there's some other ones that I'm like, eh, I don't know what the hype is. But – I think that is that's the beauty of barrel sours is that uh, you don't know what you're going to get and it's you, you know it's, you just hope to get something that's fairly uh, focused and and you know it's not a kind of a hot mess. But I think I think a lot of the problem that we're going to have is that you know people now think of sours as these fruity concoctions. Oh yeah, and they are so far from that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you give them something that actually, like you know, it's kind of not certainly not clear, but just fairly hazy, and it's not chunky, and there's no fruit floating around in it, and it's like you know, it's got that funk to it that I think people are going to think that that's a poorly made sour, and it's really unfortunate. Which is why I think we're really not marketing this to the fruited sour beer drinkers of today. I think it's just. There are some that really get into them that know what they're what they're drinking, but I think that there's yeah. so many sour Berliner Weiss fruit Berliner Weiss drinkers out right now that ninety percent of them their head would explode with this kind of shit. I think that um, that also lends to why it was really smart to outside of the financial reasons you listed that you made Implexum completely separate from Jailbreak because if you, if they were just released as Jailbreak beers. I, it would probably be a much harder sell or there would be way more education involved where you'd be like, this is very, very different than everything else that you've ever had from jailbreak. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, jailbreak, I mean, I would say that, I don't know. I mean, when we, when we made core beers and barrel aged beers, which are now become just commonplace, I guess, or at least not considered unique. 
Uh, and people started making hazy IPAs and fruit sours. It, were, it was those people that were considered unique and trendsetters and pioneers. And now everyone seems to be making multiple versions of a hazy IPA or sour that it's the people that are making normal beers that are considered weird and quirky and pioneering. So we're yeah, like the diamondback guys. Yeah. What, is, they what do they say? There's slow beer or something. Slow beer. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I think that, yeah, I mean, there's not enough people making just good common beers and, uh, you know, people, a lot of people, a lot of the beer nerds poo poo, uh, a well-made lager or an amber or whatever that is, but like, shit, like that's, that's what I honestly reach for more often in a hazy IPA. And if you talk to a lot of brewers that really are making their money on hazy IPAs. There's very few of those brewers that are actually drinking hazy IPAs. Uh, so it's it's a business. It's a business. And so, and again, I mean, jailbreak's a business no more or less than, you know, Treehouse is a business and Flying Dog and you know is a business. So, I mean, everyone, you know, if, if the best you can hope for is to have a swim lane, have a vision and, and be consistent with it and, and go to work every day feeling that you're making a product that you're proud of. Uh, so... But yeah, and Plexum is is different. It's it's the freedom from having to operate as a business. That's awesome. And I just realized I don't know what the heck happened, but the audio stopped recording like an hour and a half ago, or no, a half hour ago. Oh shit! Well, I mean, it doesn't matter. I can use the the audio from the video recording. It just doesn't sound quite as good for me. Like yeah. typically, like I'll sound better usually than the guest, but now we're going to sound equal. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. all good. I guess I don't. I don't know. Yeah, you, can have, uh, you can have a signer in to uh, read my lips and. Yeah. Well, no. Like you, you will sound exactly the same. It's just that I'm not going to sound better than you anymore because the local audio recording. I kind of like the idea of being the first uh, brewer on coming to you, closed caption. <laughs> I should maybe I maybe I will do that. It, it, people people are just gonna have to watch the video. There's no audio for this one. Yeah, the video is cooler. Yeah, but there are way more people that listen to the audio than watch the videos. Oh, really? Yeah, roughly ten thousand more people. Well, if you can't get the rest of the audio, you can just no. I can I can download the audio from this service that that also records the video. It's, oh, okay. it's fine. It's just it's it's just annoying that whatever happened with this that caused it to stop recording. It was during our break. Stupid technology. Mm-hmm. Um. So what are we talking like? Two to three weeks? When? The- yeah, I mean, I think we are. I mean, unfortunately, we're just we're not in a position now to open a tap room or tasting room. Nor would I want to make a lot of additional additional investments into creating a tap room for specifically mixed firm beer that may have a very narrow audience. So I think we are going to make the decision to release the beers through jailbreak. We already have point of sale there. We already have staff there to handle and everything else. So I do think we're going to offer bottles to drink on premise. Okay. And those bottles to drink on premise, we made the decision to kind of do it the French way which is to make it cheaper to buy a bottle to drink on premise than it is to actually take it away. 
So huh. yeah, typically beers because we want people to try these beers. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, our beers are probably, these bottles are 750s. They're probably going to be priced, I don't know, 25 will probably be the the lower end of what a bottle might go for. And then up from there, depending on how much time and effort and stuff goes into it. Um, but we'll probably sell a bottle there. Like we'll sell a bottle on premises 750. We'll probably go for 15 or 18. So we're trying to incentivize people to drink on site, which is, again, when you go to kind of France, if you go to Burgundy or the Rhone or other areas of France, it's the bottles are cheaper on a restaurant list than they are in a retail store. Hmm. I've never been to France, so I did not know that. Yeah, it's a very different. I mean, it's like because I, I also I, don't buy wine ever. Yeah, well, I, th- I think <laughs> I think in your region, your home region, winemakers are very proud and they're excited to show off their wines to people that are drinking it rather than people that shove it into a dusty cellar and hoard it away um, or trade it or anything else. Okay. So, uh, like they want people to enjoy the beer. I mean, it's just a way encourage encouraging people to actually drink it. Yes. And we, we certainly wouldn't want to sell someone a, a 25 or 30 or $40 bottle um, with them not knowing what it tastes like. And then for them to be disappointed that, Oh man, I really don't like uh, this kind of um, like again, barnyard or, you know, funky type of, uh, you know, beer. Why the hell did I, you know, <laughs> fucking plex them for selling me this thing <laughs> so make it cheaper let them taste it on site and if they love it great then they'll buy a lot of it and if not and they're like it's not your thing well you know what then at the end of the day you didn't invest a whole lot of money yeah so will they will the bottles only be available to purchase through um the tap room at jailbreak or will they go into distribution uh our well we since we get to act kind of uh in an implexum side as our own distributor uh, separate from jailbreaks distribution network. I don't foresee these going into retail stores. Uh, I do foresee these being made available to specific restaurants. Okay. So again, we want to incentivize people to drink them, uh, rather than, you know, we want that, we want to be able to control the climate in which they're sold by the bottle. So we have, I mean, I think the petite, we made about 750 bottles. The Saison Brett, just a slight bit more. And I think of the quad, we have a sour quad. Um, that I think we bottled about 1,200 or so bottles. So each bottle will have a front and back label. Um, the back label will give you what the vintage is. And when I say the vintage, when it was bottled, it'll give you the age, the average age of the barrel. It'll give you the style, give you the ABV. Um, these are actually quite high. The first two we're releasing are eight plus. So the quad's going to be 10 to 11%. So a little higher. And then it gives you, uh, you know, just some information. And it also gives you a bottle number. So okay. 750, it's going to be 100 bottle, 112 out of 750. So you know exactly how much is produced. Okay. Well, I look forward to trying those because um, I definitely, I love trying different mixed firm and funky beers i think they're really good um i think that's actually the only that was my gateway to ever being able to enjoy any wine because before i got more into sour beers i hated wine across the board but i've at least been able to try some wines recently that i liked well there you go we'll have to turn you on to some it's uh it's surprising more i mean a lot of the brewers i'm friends with are become friends with over the years we've actually become close friends via wine that's funny. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's like I would say the brewers I'm closest with. I mean, most of them like out of state, but we get together, we travel and get together regularly to drink wine. And, and I think that's how we, I mean, just like, you know, I talk about wine a lot on the beer show, but winemakers drink beer when they're done with their day. And a lot of beer makers drink wine at the end of their day. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, there there have been a few brewmasters I've talked to recently that, like I was talking to him about beer and like, actually, I haven't had a beer in a while. I drink wine and whiskey at home. <laughs> Yeah. Or bourbon. Well, yeah, you're around beer all day, and I think honestly, I think a lot of, of brewers, a lot of really good ones, they they want to expand their palate. I mean, I think the only way to tell really the quality of your own product is to have a really wide range in your palates and be able to appreciate quality. And you can't always do that, especially with like hazes and stuff like that. You can only have so many, and yeah. there's a lot of nuance to these beers. So not. I think there's actually a lot more nuance to barrel-aged beers. And I see a lot of, which I love the trend, I see a lot more wood-conditioned lagers, uh, pilsners and lagers and whatnot that are available in the markets. And I love that trend because food are aged and wood-conditioned lagers are fucking great. Fourscore up in Gettysburg has an amazing Hell's Lager that is um, made in a fooder. I love that. I love that. It's a... we're seeing more and more of that. I mean, we just, I just had one recently at Wakefield when I was I was down in Miami recently and um, had one down there. And I was that was by far my, my favorite beer from them. And uh, you know, so yeah, we're actually we have uh, we put a, put a dark lager uh, in uh, barrels about two weeks ago, and so those shouldn't need long. I, we're thinking maybe another week or two. We'll just keep tasting them, but uh, we're excited about what we get with that. Awesome. So, yeah, eventually we'll get a fooder, but and for now, like we have, we have, we are swimming in barrels. We have between the clean side and the implexum side, we have many hundreds of barrels. So we're fortunate to have a lot of wood sitting around here. Yeah, you can. Anyone watching the video, it's obvious just from what's right there. And I know the couple times I've been to jailbreak, there are a ton of barrels there too. We love them. We love them. So it's uh, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see what we do with them. Well, thank you so much for your time, um, and thank you for being flexible with the um, canceling and rescheduling. I really appreciate it. Uh, I can't wait to try some beer from Implexum, and I need some of that double passion fruit, mango, funk sway. I'm jealous because you got you know you're swimming in great beer out there with all the uh, Frederick Brewers out making great beer. I, I get to try them, and not as frequently as I'd like, but. Uh... No, you're you're sitting on a wealth of uh, of great locally made beer there. So when are you gonna when are you gonna make the open the um jailbreak tap room in Frederick? Oh yeah, that the one there there we thought people thought we had five years ago. <laughs> the old family restaurant they thought we had. Uh yeah, maybe one day. There's um there is a have you seen the um like I think they call it the bottle the bottling plant. They're like high end restaurant I mean high end apartments. It's where a Coca-Cola bottler used to be, and they um, there's like a dentist's office that opened up, but they're trying desperately to get a brewery or a brew pub to open in t- in the like the actually old bottling area. Called the Glass Factory. No, it's a different building. This one is it's right by where Monoxy Brewing is oh, on okay. the north side north side of Frederick. Oh, I have not seen it. I, I really like the the Glass Factory building. Um, Whatever that's called. 
Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, that's an awesome building. I mean, no, this is, this, I mean, this is also a beautiful, awesome building. And there is a humongous, brand new, high-end apartment complex that was built behind it. Really? Yeah. Tell, tell, if you know the people that are involved, tell them to make us an offer. All right. I, I actually, someone sent me the link, a link to it recently. I'll shoot, I'll shoot you a link to, to what, what they have envisioned of what they would like in that building. Awesome. Maybe it's jailbreak coming to a town near you soon then. Yeah. It would be the perfect place for the, uh, jailbreak West. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. Well, we'll, we'll take a look at it. All right. Well, so thank you so much for your time. Um, and thank you everyone for watching and listening. Thanks Cheers. So Uncapped is brought to you with support from McClintock Distilling, Maryland's first and only organic certified distillery. They are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions. You can visit them in historic downtown Frederick along Carroll Creek for tours and tastings. Go to McClintockDistilling.com for more information. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.